Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. It's like eight people going. 
So that was pretty mediocre, everybody. Good job. If you're going to clap, you've got to really clap for it. It makes up here going. <laughs> or that. Or that. Or yeehaw. Feel free, whatever. Make it culturally relevant. Yeehaw. <laughs> oh, man. That has nothing to do with this morning's service. It's just reaction. Good. We, we all survived the great storm of 2020. That's uh, pretty pretty incredible. I'm I'm really thankful. I don't want to make too many jokes because you know they they really thought it was going to be a, a, a big mamba jamba. I mean that was, and uh, I I think it was in different parts. But thank the Lord, it kind of fizzled out here. And if you have some damage, it didn't fizzle out for you. But uh, you know you you never you never know. And uh, it is wonderful to live in a part of the country that's helpful. But but we've had some storms, so we deserved one one big zero. What we what happens, and the staff knows that whenever we have like a midweek storm coming and we cancel Wednesday night service so that everybody stays home safe, it never comes. And that's how it was in Ohio when we were ministering up there. We were going to get 52 inches of snow, and everybody stay home in your warm house so we'd cancel, and it would be beautiful, sunny, and 70. So that's just part of the deal. We are glad to have you here this morning. If you're watching on the Internet, uh, we're glad to have you uh, tuned in there. Uh, we are right now starting up again this morning. We're in the middle of a series. I think this is our 39th week in this series. But it is on the life of Jesus Christ. What we've done is we've taken all four Gospels and, and uh, done the best we can to put them in chronological order, the story of Jesus' life, and kind of walking through it. And the purpose is to answer the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus of the Bible? Because there is a lot of confusion today. There are some people who think that he's a social justice warrior. Some people think he's conservative, political. Some people think he's Captain America. What we want to do is step back and look at who is the Jesus of the Bible. So if you're visiting with us or watching online, we're glad to have you with us today. We took about a month and a half off for the Christmas season, and we're jumping back into it. Uh, we took time off talking about Jesus to talk about Jesus. So we're getting back into the story of Jesus today. So, okay, that wasn't as funny as it was in my head. Um, if you can open your worship guides, I want to highlight some things, folks. Lots of stuff coming up. Let me mention to you, if you're visiting with us this morning, a very special welcome to you. And I know a lot of you know people here. And uh, folks, if you see somebody that's visiting and you know them, invite them to Bible study. Uh, ask if you can answer any questions. But for those of you who have more questions, and I'm sure we'll generate some, uh, my wife and I will be up here at the end of the service, and, and uh, we would love to answer any questions and get to know you and shake your hand. And, but thanks for being with us today. It means a lot that you're here. Uh, lots of stuff going on, as I, I've already mentioned. This week, uh, as you know, with the construction, we had some conflicts with construction and this week's midweek services. And uh, we have the ability to email and text out in a mass level. If you did not get one of those this week, uh, there's a note in here. We, um, that means we don't have your proper email or cell phone information where we can text you or whatever last-minute information. If you would like to be on that, please, please, please contact the office. Uh, one thing you can do is if you don't want to contact the office because you don't like Dolores, I get that. She's kind of rough. Um, oh, man, I'm lighting up. Oh, wow. And then it turned. I'd like to go ahead and apologize right now for saying that about Dolores. I, my arm is buzzing. I have an Apple Watch, and my arm is buzzing right now. That's not electrocution. It's just, just, just distracting. Dolores, if you don't know her, is the most wonderful, sweet person. She gets free entrance to heaven just because how nice she is. That's not true either, but she, she is safe. So... I, when I first came to Carpenter's Way and I got to know Dolores, uh, I, was, I was leaving one Friday afternoon, and I said to her, hey, I, I was just thinking about Sunday. If the rapture takes place, you're in charge. 
<laughs> about a half hour later, I got a text. It was like, I just got that. That's not funny. <laughs> so it continues. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, so <laughs> back to the important stuff. If you didn't get an email or text this week, um, at the bottom of that same sheet, there's a guest registration card. You can also communicate with us there on the backside. Just rip that out, put it in the offering plate with your correct information so we can correct that so that we can mention. We also, on our Facebook, our Carpenter's Way Facebook page, we, we try to communicate with you the best we can. So, uh, so just if you didn't get any notices this week, um, make sure you let us know where you are and, and how to do that because we, you know, we don't want you showing up if... if uh, if, if we have to cancel for one reason or another. Um, uh, you'll notice in here, up to, uh, women's Bible studies are starting up again. Please take note. There's uh, three different ones you want to look at. Um, preschool children's ministry, a volunteer training coming up. There is another ministry opportunity in the worship guide. For those of you who aren't teachers or singers or you want to kind of let you enjoy serving in the background, uh, we have a ministry called Helping Hands Ministry. And they make, they make um, little things with their hands for children, for people in need, just lots of craft type, type ministry. That information is in the worship guide here. And they have one coming up uh, for a Amazon trip coming up late February that they're gonna need some folks to help. If you are interested in that, Kitty Bounds who oversees that will be uh, over against that wall by the women's table after service if you're interested in signing up. I know she needs some help. Uh, so. Please take note of that and be involved. Uh, last week, one of the things I encouraged you is, is to be involved in ministry. You build relationships, get to know people. Um, I think that does it for the, all the announcements I wanted to make this morning. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. If you're visiting with us, this is the one part of the service we ask you not to participate in, uh, and that's our giving. Uh, those who attend here regularly are committed to the budget, and, and uh, you guys know that we... Uh, we don't just take care of needs here. We support missions across the globe and different things. And thank you for your faithfulness. And, and thank you for your year-end giving. It was excellent. And uh, we just really appreciate you guys. So let's pray and commit the rest of our service to the Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for your word and that we get to get into the story and, and kind of walk 10 feet behind the disciples as they listen to you teach and you interact with them. And it's my prayer, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us in a very real and personal way. Father, thank you for those that have gathered, those that are new and old friends, and um, I just pray that we be encouraged together today. Uh, as we turn our face now away from the business of church and to the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I just pray that you'd encourage us, that you would speak to us, that if somebody is here or watching on the internet that doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation. For those who do know you, I pray you would draw us close to yourself. So it is a privilege, Father, and we're aware of it, that we can do this each week in this country. We pray for our leaders of this country, that you would make them wise, that they would be careful, that they would, Father, seek unity for the betterment of our country. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, uh, Father, for the other churches this morning in this community that are opening the word of God. We pray you bless them. We pray you would be with them. We pray you would direct them and guide them. And Father, for Carpenter's Way, may we be guilty of one thing, and that is proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ until you return. In Jesus' name we pray.
them wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. We remember what you God who was and did, by the God who's yet to come, we remember how you saved, we recall the lost were found, you were present yesterday. This will be our soul, and we will not forget through the valleys we have walked, up the mountains we have climbed, over giants we have walked.
strength within sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our morning With a love that casts out fears You are working in our waiting And beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper, you have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever, you're perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. You are wisdom unimagined, who could understand your ways, reigning high above the head.
God, we just, we stand before you, and, and that's, it's so easy to sing, it's so easy to pray sometimes, but God, it's, it's harder to walk in, it's harder to trust that you do have plans for us, God, that you see us, you know exactly where we are, you know exactly what we're facing. Some in this room are having a great week, and some are having a bad week, and Lord, we, we just lay it all at your feet, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, that you would teach us to trust. We ask, Lord, that as we go through the trials, as we go through the things, Lord, that we would just lay it at your feet, knowing that you are sovereign, knowing that you see us, knowing that you're involved. And God, that we would just trust you. We'd learn to trust you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I sat down earlier, Julie, who is funnier, between the two of us, leaned over to me and said, you spoke up against God's anointed, <laughs> referring to Dolores. So I would like to apologize to the Lord and Dolores this morning. <laughs> All right, you ready to get back into the study of who is this man? Man, what a great study we've had so far. For those who haven't been with us, let me give you some context. We have been following Jesus. That was the goal in this, to kind of walk a few steps behind. For Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, uh, we are just under about three years into that ministry. We don't know exactly. Uh, we do the best we can to chronologically put it together but in that time, we've watched Jesus be baptized. We've seen him resist the temptations of the devil. We've watched as he turned water to wine, healed the sick, made the lame to walk, the blind to see, the mute to talk. We've watched him raise the dead and even control the weather and the seas on a couple of different occasions. We've listened. We've listened in as he described uh, the transformed character, the life of a man or woman who be, has become part of this upside-down kingdom of his. We have listened, as he told religious leaders and anybody who would listen, that the Jewish religion and all religions, while fine, won't save you, but he is the only way to the Father. We've listened in as he taught crowds not to be satisfied with the flesh and, and fleshly satisfaction, not sinful stuff, but physical health and financial wealth or food, but to actually seek his kingdom. And store up for themselves treasures in heaven where real wealth isn't destroyed or stolen. We've watched as he begged crowds to seek, to knock, to ask, to keep searching, to chasten in order to find true spiritual freedom and health. Over and over we've listened in as those who claim to be his disciples were told by Jesus that they really wanted to be his follower. They'd be, to put, they'd be willing to put their selfish ambition aside, pick up their cross, and follow him. And in all of the teaching and in all the stories, we watched as he offered living water to a Samaritan woman, spent a few days in a village with a Samaritan group of people, a crowd, of a city. We watched while he let a prostitute wash and kiss his feet while he's eating dinner with a Pharisee. Incredible stories. We watched as, as he allowed a woman who was unclean spiritually by the law he created touch the hem of his garment and become well. We watched as he went places and touched people and dealt with people that no respectable Jew, respectable, respectable Jew let alone a rabbi, would ever do. And he invited people to follow him. We watched as those in his inner circle of disciples, while continuing to minister, he loved them despite the fact they didn't understand 
They were unwilling to simply trust him, and they continually let their selfish, fleshly desires um, actually bring them to a place where they felt comfortable rebuking Jesus. In the story of Jesus' life and ministry, we're only a few months away from Jesus actually turning his face to Jerusalem and going to do what he came to do. Soon in their journey, Jesus and his disciples will walk towards Jerusalem where he will complete his earthly task. And because of that, where we find ourselves this morning is Jesus trying to help the disciples understand what is about to take place. What he really came to do. And that's to die. And then rise. And then leave them. He didn't come to stay. He came to leave them. When we're done with this story in 22 years, that's a joke I promised I wouldn't make, but I can't help myself. But when we're done with this story, we're going to go into what life looks like without Jesus being in front of you. That's what we're going to do. And how do we do that? By going to Acts. How did this group of people, that's about 120 when he ascends into heaven, how does this group of people go from actually being able to grab his coat and talk to him and interact with him, how do they go from that to living without him physically present in front of them? And it's very instructive for how we are to live today. We'll go through Acts together. But there's still much that these 12 needed to learn and needed to wrap their minds around. And the time was short. And in that context, we pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Leaving that region, they traveled together to Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. Now pay attention, verse 31. For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man, uh, that's his servant name, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying. However, they were afraid to ask him what they meant. Jesus knew what was coming. I've already said that. Jesus knows how short the time is with these guys, and he knows what they're about to face. And so with that in mind, he wants to get alone with these disciples. That's called discipleship. In today's church, the most important thing that we do is evangelize. And the problem is, as we focus and zero in uh, 99% of our time in evangelism, we have left behind the church. We've left behind growth. We've left behind the purpose of the church, which is to equip, and we talked about this last year, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to understand what's true, what is true so that we're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. We are so to be so grained in the scriptures together that when uh, Ephesians 4 says that when people tell us a lie so clever that it sounds like the truth, we can detect it. That is why God invented the church. God didn't invent the local gathering, as I mentioned last week, so that we could evangelize the lost. That's not what Sundays or our gatherings about. Our gatherings are about growing each other up, doing what Jesus did here. In a time, and, and, and you have to understand the culture in which we live today and what the claims are. Even in the church, there are two claims that are both wrong. Number one, we shouldn't judge. That goes against Scripture. 1 Corinthians tells us that we don't judge those outside of the church, but we absolutely judge each other. It's called accountability. We keep each other focused and walking with him and encouraging each other. But the second thing is that we are to be committed to actually building each other up, to discipleship, to maturing each other. We come from among them. There is a the us versus them. 
the world is not actually, the lost are not actually invited to participate in the worship of the Father because they don't know the Father. They're welcome to watch us. 1 Corinthians tells us that when the body of Christ is exercising their gifts, the unrepentant man will fall on the face and want to know their Lord. But the truth is, our priority here in this life, and, and this is what, in last week's message, those of you who are here who watched, and I encourage you to go back and, and watch it if you didn't. But one of the things that struck me is when Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 tells the church how they are to live and what they're to do, it starts with loving each other the body of Christ. It doesn't start with where we would start. Make sure you tell your neighbors and friends about Jesus. It starts by loving each other as Jesus loves each other. It, it's, it's building each other up. It's living in unity, understanding our calling, because the church is, is God's second line of defense against the world. The first line of defense is the Holy Spirit, and he uses the church to build each other up, and you see that model in Jesus' life. It is amazing when you think about on its face that Jesus only has three to three and a half years of ministry time. And in that time, he's trying to sneak away from the crowds to get along with his 12. Well, that doesn't seem very nice. It does if you realize that Jesus didn't come to stay. He came to disciple, to die, and then fill these people with the Holy Spirit. And the 12 of them were supposed to spread out across the globe and tell people about Jesus. The truth is, he was pulling them aside to prepare them for what was coming. And what was coming? He was going to die. They were going to absolutely freak out. And he keeps telling them, I'm going to die. But that didn't fit their uh, preconceived ideas. Remember the text that I just read to you actually says, because they didn't understand what he meant. There's not that much complicated in what he says. Going to Jerusalem, going to die, going to rise. And this is the second or third occasion that we have recorded that he's told them this. But they can't fathom that because I want to remind you that what they thought was Jesus was here to establish a kingdom. He wasn't going, to, he wasn't going into a tomb. He was going onto a throne. And they couldn't wrap their minds around it no matter how many times Jesus taught. So that's why they were confused. So Jesus pulls them away to a private place to disciple them. They don't get what's coming. He gets them alone. He tries once again to let them know, to prepare them for what they would face. But the more he talked specifically about what was going to happen in the coming months, the more they were confused and afraid. You ever feel that? I mean, you should. Let's be honest. We all feel that. There are things that we expect from God, even if we've heard otherwise. The song that Chad led us in this morning that he started by teaching us last week on the sovereignty of God, it talks about even in the pain. The song before that about we will not forget, what it, that, the, the impetus of that song is don't forget what God has already done because we live in this today moment and every day has trouble. And sometimes you look up into heaven and go, this is not what I expected from you. This is not what they expected from him. The disciples experience, I hope, 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 and I pray that as we walk 10 feet behind these guys who are walking one foot behind Jesus, I hope that you begin to understand that your frustration, your confusion, your whatever you feel isn't any different than these 12 who walked with him. One of them will become so distraught with teach Jesus' teachings, he will decide that Jesus isn't the one he's waiting for, and he will turn him in to be killed. Who am I talking about? Judas didn't wake up one day and decided that. It was over a period of time, and ultimately it culminates, and we'll get to this story in a few months, but ultimately it culminates when Jesus allows another woman of the night, another prostitute, to wash his feet with expensive perfume, 
And Judas, who is the financial guy of the 12, actually rebukes Jesus and says, you're wasting money. We can give this to the poor. And Jesus tells him to stand down, that this woman is worshiping him, and that's more important than the money for the poor. That freaked him out, and it's after that that he decides in his heart, Scripture tells us, to turn Jesus in. Jesus will disappoint you because your flesh wants what it wants. And Jesus wants what he wants. And his plan is best. The challenge of the Christian life is, is not to be fleshly good, to be excited. I got cancer, now I get to meet doctors. Yes! That's not how this works. Our, our goal as we trust God more, as the song sang, is to say, okay, you got this. I'm sorry, you're terminal. God's got that too. It's trust. The battle of the Christian life is not against sin. For those of you visiting, I know I just freaked you out, especially as a Baptist. It's not sin. Sin isn't the problem. If you have confessed your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. The day you got saved, the blood of Christ was applied to your account, and you are forgiven, past, present, and future. You are forgiven. You sit forgiven this morning, right now, standing before the Lord, pure and holy, Scripture says. Colossians says it. It's not Mark's doctrine. It's the Scripture. Colossians says that we can boldly approach. Romans says we can boldly approach the throne of God. Hebrews says we can boldly approach without fear because we've been accepted into his presence through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin is not really your problem. It's trust. The reason a believer sins is because he does or she doesn't think that God is treating them the way that they need to feel so we indulge in our flesh. It's a trust problem, not a sin problem. It's a trust problem. The problem for the believer is the same problem for the disciples. What's interesting about this text is as they are confused, and it says uh, in, in, in uh, Mark 9 that they didn't understand what he was saying, however they were afraid to ask. Listen to how Matthew 17 describes their reaction to his talking about his death. After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He'll be killed, and on the third day he'll be raised from the dead, and his disciples were filled with grief. Grief, not only are... They, uh, they didn't understand what he was saying, but they're afraid to ask. Now you know why. They're saddened. And I want you to know that they weren't saddened because Jesus was dying. They're saddened because he keeps talking about this. This was not in their mojo for him. This was not in their, their context. They, we look back on this and we go, how silly are these men? These men are just like you and I. They have expectations for the Messiah. They have expectations for their life. They thought they knew what was coming. They were convinced of it, just like your grandparents who told you that the Lord would return before their death. He didn't. Just like every time you look and you listen, you know, there are many in the church who, who watch what's going on in Washington, D.C., and they decide that it's the worst time in the history of the world. You know, that is so short-sighted. Do you realize what's going on in Iran right now for believers? It's not a political movement against morality. It's dying for your faith. There was a report this week that I posted on our, our church Facebook page, and I encourage you, if, you're not, if you haven't liked it and it's not in your stream, you need to get it. We put up their articles and different things that are... But apparently, in Iran, more people are becoming, leaving Islam and becoming follower of Jesus than ever before in the history. 
You know why? Because of persecution. In China, it's the same. People are becoming followers of Jesus. And in America, while we are being ousted more and more and being pushed to the side and, and marginalized, please understand that it is not the worst time in history because of that. It isn't. We look at abortion and we think that's horrible, and it is. But I want to remind you that in the birth, at the time of the birth of Jesus, they were slaughtering infants outside of the womb when Moses was born. If you think homosexuality is taking over our culture today, go back to Sodom. Nothing is new. In fact, if you go and you read the law that God set up for the nation of Israel, you'll find some sins you've never even imagined doing or people doing. It's not the worst time in history. It may be the worst time for us. But I want to remind you, the more we look at black and white pictures of America and we want to go back to religion as it was 150 years ago, might I remind you that 150 years ago we had a problem with slavery and the country was in a civil war? And then soon after that you have World War I and then you have World War II. Just so you know, everybody's thought their time living was the worst time ever. Why? Because we're focused on us, not Jesus. You see, what the disciples should have said after the second or third time of Jesus saying dying, they should have gone, huh, you really are going to die? But they don't. They're afraid to ask. They're afraid that Jesus will rebuke them and tell them, yes, I'm going to die. And they don't want that. That's why they grieved. They grieved because his plan, as he talked about, didn't fit them. Just like us. You know, I, I try to be as honest with you as I can, and sometimes it comes back to bite me, but I'm going to continue to be honest, and let me start with this. I don't like all of God's plans. I know that unless the Lord returns first, I will one day die. I don't like to die. I don't like the thought of death. I'm not afraid of death after. I'm afraid of hurting my family, my kids hurting, my wife hurting. I'm afraid of pain. I don't like pain. I'm a weenie. I know. I get it. It's the doorway I'm afraid of, not what's on the other side. Seriously, I'm not afraid of what happens next. I've buried lots of people, thought a lot through it, but I, I, I don't look forward to that. But there will be a day when a doctor tells me that, and my flesh fights that. But when that day comes, I want to sing the song we sang this morning about sovereignty. I want to sing the song about I will not forget. I want somebody in the church to remind me that we knew this was coming. It's just now we know how it's coming, so stand strong. Be faithful. What's the worst can that can happen? You go home? I don't want to go home. Yes, you do. They have the same conflict. It appears that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, when they hear of God's plan, are filled with sadness and grief at the very plan and purposes God had on this side of eternity. And for those who think that God's work in the world will always make you happy, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. It's, it's right here in front of you. And this is why you have to get to know Jesus from the Scriptures. Because what guys like me teach is often what we want to be true. When you stick with the text, it is what it is. And these guys were saddened and grieved and frustrated that Jesus keeps talking about dying. And yet, they kept following. I also want to remind you that before we ended for Christmas, I want to remind you that Jesus fed 5,000 people plus women and children, and then he ministered to them the next day, and as he's ministering to them, he said, really, what you need to eat is my flesh and drink my blood. And they were supposed to ask farther questions about that. You mean we become cannibals? No, we don't become cannibals. I'm talking about 
living water, like he said to the Samaritan woman at the well. If you knew who I was and you were truly thirsty, I can give you water that will never leave you thirsty again. Remember what she said? Well, you don't even have a bucket to get water out of the well. Jesus said, I'm not talking about this water. I'm talking about living water. Jesus always spoke in metaphors so that those who are truly interested will ask deeper metaphorical questions like this. What the heck are you talking about? Do we start at your finger and work our way up your arm? He wants, that's why he said, ask, seek, and knock. This is why context matters, because Jesus' message was always off-putting so that those who really wanted to know the truth because they knew he was the answer would dig deeper. The reason Jesus hasn't written a book that answers every question you have is so you'll dig. Do you know what would happen if all of a sudden every question we ever had was answered this morning? We'd all take the next six months off. The same thing that if your life gets perfect, you'll stop praying. No, I won't, Pastor Mark. Yes, you will. Your prayers will go from nonstop, God, please be with me. God, give me strength. God, help me. God, heal me. To God, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. This is, this is not a secret to God. He keeps us desperate because he wants us desperate. I'm sorry that stinks, but it'll only stink till you go home and then you'll understand and then that smell will be the smell of heaven. Keeping us desperate. And, and as much as it confused and saddened and grieved these guys and frustrated them, they kept following and we even know why and we studied this before. Remember context. When the crowd left, the masses left Jesus because his preaching was too hard. Remember that? They said his preaching was too hard. Jesus then turned to the disciples and said, are you going to leave as well? And they said no. And Jesus asked them why. Why aren't you going to leave? And Peter said, because there's no other, salvation is in no one else but you. And Jesus said, the Holy Spirit taught you that. But because they believed in Jesus as the Savior, didn't mean they weren't perplexed, confused, grieved, and frustrated. So take a deep breath and give yourself a little bit of a break. That's life following the king of kings who parents just like your dad did. He didn't tell you everything you thought you needed to know when you were 10. He just told you to keep your head out of the fire. Don't put your head in the oven. Why, daddy? Because I said so. You didn't need to understand the concept that gas in your lungs is bad. You just needed to obey. His plan was better for you. Don't stick your head in a fire. Your mom, don't play with fire ants. Why? They're pretty. Because I'm your mother, and I'm bigger than you, and I'm a Texas woman, and I will beat you within an inch of your life. <laughs> you understand, you parented like this, unless you were a lousy parent. You parented like this. Why shouldn't we expect God to parent like this? He wants us dependent children. Back to our text. We got to give credit to the disciples, and I want to give credit to you. Because while they often got frustrated and grieved and saddened and didn't understand, and we've had that in the last six months at Carpenter's Way, you didn't walk away. Pat on the back. Pat, pat, pat. Because sometimes you want to stay home and prepare for the Texans game. For those of you watching on the internet at home preparing for the Texans game, you need to give twice as much as twice. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You haven't given up. And there are times your flesh goes, why are we doing this? Well, because God. That's the answer. Just keep following. This isn't about how dumb you are or how weak you are. This is about how normal this is. 
And they could ask Jesus questions. And I've said this before, there's not one of us in this room who's walked with God more than a week at some point who said, I wish I could just be with Jesus physically because I have a few questions. Or we're arrogant enough to go, when I get to heaven, I'm going to, no, you're not. You're not. You're not going to ask that question. How can you say that, pastor? I'm pretty bold. Because they didn't even ask the question. They just let it go. They just grieved. It's okay not to understand and like his plan and still be his follower. You see that here? We're not done. The day continues. Matthew 17, verse 24. On their arrival at Capernaum, so they left Galilee. They're on a trip. And to be truthful, I don't know if it's a day or two. But when they arrive, and the next two stories that we're going to get into today are one day. So on their arrival at Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax, this is not the Roman government, this is the Jewish religious leaders. The collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and he asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yeah, he does, Peter replied. Then he went into the house. I love this. Yeah. (laughs) And then he walks away. This could be Mark thinking, but those of you who are laughing are ahead of me. They are constantly being ridiculed for Jesus' teachings, and these religious leaders actually don't just go to Jesus, they go to his disciples. And when they get to Capernaum, the temple tax people went around from synagogue to synagogue to get money to keep the, to keep the temple in good shape. And so they see Peter coming, Jesus' entourage, and instead of going to Jesus, they go to Peter, and they corner him. Doesn't Jesus, your rabbi, give to the temple tax? And Peter's response is, yeah. Okay, and then he goes in the house. But before he had a chance to speak, (laughs) so now you know. Jesus is going, hey man, they're on our case about the temple tax. So I'm not going to say he lied because I'm sure Jesus paid the temple tax before. But he runs to Jesus. But before he has a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, what do you think, Peter? Do kings tax their own people or people they have conquered? And I'm going to add here, I think at this point Peter goes, I hate it when you do that, Jesus. I, you weren't out there. How'd you hear this? Would you stop doing that? It's freaking me out. But Jesus asked him a very important question. Do kings tax their own people or people they have conquered? Well, they tax the people they've conquered, Peter replied. Well, then Jesus said, citizens are free. You get this, right? What's he saying? Well, then we don't owe him anything because we're free to give, not to give. Verse 27. However, we don't want to offend them so go down and to the lake and throw. <laughs> this is like the best magic trick ever. Have you seen an illusionist show? I lived one for about five years. This is when it's uh, Zach's playing cards and he's got his cards out there and he goes, hey dad, pull a card out of the deck, pull a card out of the deck. And I know that that card's going to be hanging from the ceiling in his bedroom. I just know it. That's what happens here. Well, then Jesus, uh, he goes, uh, however, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake, throw in a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you'll have find a large, <laughs> I love this, I can see this, I can, and find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. That's pretty cool. Jesus is quite the illusionist, or he re- really made that happen. This is an interesting little quirky story. It's not usually the central point of a message, and that's because it's, and if it is, it's, it's kind of a weird point. I, I want to make it clear, this is not about paying taxes to government or tithing. That, that's not at all what this is about. That's what they did, but there's a message in here. 
What Jesus is actually teaching the disciples, and specifically Peter, is found in the key verses of this, 26 and 27. Look at this with me again. Jesus said, citizens are free. In other words, you're free. You're not, you're not a slave to the religious leaders, so we don't really have to pay. However, we don't want to offend them, so go down to the lake, throw out a line, open the mouth of the first fish you catch, and you will find a large silver coin. Take it and pay the tax for both of us. I just love this because Jesus could have gone behind Peter's ear and pulled a coin out. He could have actually created a coin. He could have taken Peter's gold tooth out. He could have taken his own gold tooth out, but we know Jesus was perfect, was number six, so he didn't have a cavity. But he could have done anything. He could have said, you do not want me to pay tax, like in Star Wars. These are not the droids you're looking for. Jesus rocks, you guys. I mean, he is this. He is, so, he is one bad mamba jamba. I mean, who does this? All right, Peter, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go down to the waterfront. I want you to get a line. Take a fishing pole. It needs to be a Shimano. Then I want you to take a worm, and I want you to catch a fish. Now, don't go to the left or the right. Go to the middle, right down the middle. First fish. Actually, it's the second fish after the left one. I mean, it's so crazy. You know why God does that to him? I, I don't know, but I'm going to guess. Because he has to think about this whole conversation while it's going on. It would have been so much easier for Jesus just to pay the temple, temple tax. He could have told Judas to take care of it for him. But if you haven't been saved long enough to know this, Jesus never does things the safe or easy way. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ever. Ever, ever. And in fact, when he does, you should probably assume at this point, you should probably make sure that you're not putting your hope in the solution, but in God, because it may be the evil one distracting you. That's just... When Jesus delivers the, Egyptian, the Jews out of Egypt's hand, there was a short way to get to the Holy Land. He takes them the long route before they even said. He was teaching them dependence. You see, something God loves more than us being happy and feeling good, and that is intimate with Him. This is one crazy story, and in order to teach the lesson, which is, Let's not distract. Jesus wants Peter to spend time thinking about it. Paul teaches the same concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to let Paul explain what Jesus is teaching here through this. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything you do is going to be beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good but actually for the good of others. So you may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a believer asks you to home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. What if they serve us bacon and they're Texan Gentile unsaved people? Eat bacon. It would change their lives. Bacon is God's gift to food. But that is what he's saying. Now, I understand, and, and if you know context, you understand he's talking about meat sacrificed to idols and all that question. But he's actually saying in a Gentile home, if they offer you food, don't go, I can't eat that food, food because it's not from a hooven cook. You get it. <laughs> he, he's not saying don't eat a shrimp because he's saying eat it. Well, that would violate the law that you had established. I made the law for man, not man for man. Paul is actually saying, 
If, verse 27, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation. If you want to eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you, oh, that this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by one, what someone else thinks? Well, if I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it, you might ask? Here's the point. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And he's going to explain what that means. We can all go, okay, so make sure you pray before you eat. That's not what he's talking about. What glorifies God? Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I, too, try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I want to pause for a second because those of you who bend on legalism are going to love this. You love this because it's like, see, this is why you shouldn't drink. I want to remind you that he's not saying don't drink or don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And he's even not saying don't ever do anything that you want to do. That's not at all. He says don't just do what's best for you or what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many might be saved. Let me remind you that Paul loved the Olympics. The case could be made from Paul's writings that he loved drama. He often preached in Ephesus in a great cathedral that was a drama place. He used the term hypocrite, which was not a slanderous term back then. It means you're acting. You're not who you claim to be. It is reasonable to believe that Paul was a, loved athletics and he loved sports. And he didn't say, I'm going to, uh, athletics is sports, athletics and drama. And he didn't say, I'm going to stop doing that because Christians should be completely focused on religious things. He actually told us to involve in culture. If you like sports, go to a sporting event. If you like politics, be involved in politics. If you are a wine connoisseur, then be a wine connoisseur. But make sure while you're all those things, you aren't putting people off. It's not okay, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, to beat the crap out of an Eagles fan. It's not okay, if you are a Democrat, to beat the crap out of a Trump fan. And it's not okay if you're a Trump fan to beat the crap out of a crazy person. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just had to make that joke. If you're a Democrat, please forgive me. I'm teasing. It's just not okay because even though you might be right, what are you winning? At the end, he said, I don't just do what's best for me. If you'd like to have a glass of wine, if you're visiting this morning, this is going to shock you because, you know, I mean, you think you're in a Baptist church. We're not very good at it, so let me begin by that. There's nothing wrong with drinking. Drinking isn't a sin. I keep telling you that the most drunk people in heaven are going to be Baptists because their liver is not prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the truth exists that drinking isn't a sin as long as you're not causing somebody else to stumble. If you and your wife want to have pasta at home and a glass of wine, then have a glass of wine. Christians shouldn't drink. <laughs> Boy, have you not read this book. If you are a drinker, don't bring a stein of beer to church. It's distracting, and the church service is not going to be brought to you by Budweiser. Take a breath. This is not a, this is not a, this is not a complicated concept. The truth is that this is an upside-down world we've been involved in, a kingdom. And that thing is, don't just feed your flesh, even if it's fine what you're doing. Always reach others' needs first. 
Well, then, Jesus said, the citizens are free in Matthew 17, verse 26 and 27. However, we don't want to offend them. So you don't need to, we don't need to pay them, Peter. You're right. We're free. We should just ignore them. But we don't want to offend them, which had to make Peter giggle. <laughs> you, know, you know why, right? Because Jesus was constantly offending the Pharisees. But with truth. When it comes to temple taxes and, you know, whether your shawl is right, Jesus didn't want to fight about that. Let's straighten our shawls. Let's go to synagogue. We don't want to offend them. So go down to the lake, throw out a line, open the mouth of a fish. The first fish you catch, you'll find this large silver coin. Take it and pay tax for both of us. And that whole time Peter had to go, this is one crazy thing that we're doing. Of course it is. It's an upside down kingdom. It really is that crazy. Everything we do is that nuts because we serve a risen Lord. We serve a value system that's extra worldly. Paul says, I don't do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many will be saved. I now want to remind you where we are in the timeline of Jesus' ministry. He's about to be killed and then rise and then leave them. He's not just leaving them. He's leaving them and by default us to finish his task. So they had to get the value system of the kingdom. We have to get the value system of the kingdom so that we can identify what's fleshly and what's not. The flesh isn't always sinful. I know that sounds weird. You have the right to do things and not to do things. You get to decide. But if the decision you make keeps people from coming to the kingdom, then don't do it. If you get bad service at Applebee's and they pour tea all over your lap before you rip your waitress a new hole in her head, you should ask yourself if a wet lap is worth missing and losing your testimony. You did just pray for your meal. I deserve good service. Yes, you do. So are you saying I shouldn't demand good service? I don't know. We keep flooding our bathrooms. We can tell everybody off whether they know what's causing it or not. But at some point, we've got to go, we're the church. We'll just keep squeegeeing the poop out. That is not very common to hear that word from a pulpit. I'm aware of that. I, so are you saying that we shouldn't expect good service for our dollar? No, I'm just saying you're going to have to follow God on that. You're big boys and girls. And I know we all want rules. I'm just simply telling you that at some point at the end of the day, we just do the best we can and we speak truthfully. And we keep our mouths shut a lot. And you know what? Some of you need to blow your Facebook accounts up. Because despite the fact that I may agree with you, what you're doing is alienating the very people that need Jesus. Seriously. What the world thinks of our view of sexual issues or moral issues is irrelevant. Donald Trump is not your savior. Jesus Christ is. Pray for his salvation. Be very careful to anoint him. We have no idea what's going on in his heart of hearts. Pray for him. And those Californians, Nancy Pelosi from, Nancy, from, Southern, uh, from San Francisco, I, I've, I grew up in San, San Diego, the southern part. I, it's as crazy as you think. But they still need Jesus. Well, Pastor Mark, they're going to ruin our country, our, 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 
our country's going to go where God wants it to go. So vote. Put your hope in him. If you want to have dialogue and convince people, convince people. But remember, there is one more thing more important than getting them to be patriotic as you see fit. And that is introducing them to Jesus Christ. Because this life will be over in 100 years. And by the way, for those of you who love how I talk because I mostly attack conservatives in this room, Jesus Christ is not a social justice warrior. Knock it off. He did not come to make sure everybody made the same amount of money no matter what their gender was. You can stand up for that. That's fine. But to, but to attack people who need Jesus over that is wrong. Prejudice has existed since the time of the Jews. And before, it's going to continue. I, I just want to tell you that the church is not prejudiced. We're just stupid sometimes. Your job in this life is not to make sure that social justice reigns. Your job is to tell people that Jesus Christ loves immoral people who are being treated badly. What is the Bible's view on slavery? <laughs> Stay a slave unless God gives you a way out. What? See, you're a white supremacist. I'm not. I'm just, I'm just biblical. I'm not saying it's a good way of life. Paul, was a, Paul sent a slave back. That's what the whole book of Philemon's about. Why? So that Philemon could minister to the people he was around. No matter what your circumstance, whether you are poor or rich, you are poor or rich for the glory of God. All of that is just a platform with which you can talk about our kingdom. I am not pro-slavery. It's evil. So is the murder of an infant inside of its mother's womb, his or her, so is any kind of murder and death. It's evil. But I'm here to tell people while they're being murdered that there is salvation beyond them. I'm even here to tell murderers that there's salvation and hope for them in Christ. Don't be so Republican or so Democrat that you make it easy for Satan to distract your message. Am I in a lot of trouble right now or just a little bit? Are you breathing out there? Just a little bit. Thank you for that. Bless your heart. You, you do understand, so let me say this, whether you agreed with the illustrations I used or not, you do understand what I'm saying, right? If we win this country for whatever your, pre your, your political aspirations are, but people aren't getting saved, you realize that's a loss. While we may make it a better place for our kids in our, from our point of view, Jesus is paramount. Understand? So let me just say that Carpenter's Way does not have a political point of view. Her pastor does. I try to make fun of it all the time because that's not important. What is important is that we keep fixated on this one. Even when we're like, what do you mean you're going to die? I don't like that. What do you mean this is going to... Even when I don't like his plan, I trust his heart, knowing that what he offers is best. Does that make sense? That's what this was about. Uh, all right, I'm going to jump down. Okay, Mark chapter 9. I'm going to jump down, Kevin, because I'm almost out of time. So, <laughs> so they've been talking and walking, and I want you to understand, again, that you're no different than them, our struggle. 
And this next story, that's the end of the day. So they get into Capernaum, and they walk into this house probably to eat, and Jesus says to Peter, you know, hey, uh, should we pay temple taxes or not? And has that discussion with him. Well, at the end of the day, this happens in verse 33 of Mark 9. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in the house, Jesus asked the disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? So later that day or the next day, they're going to go to stay in a place. And so they're walking down the road, and Jesus is walking ahead of them as rabbis did, and he goes into the house, and he prepares. And when they walk in, Jesus goes, hey, what were you guys talking about? Cup of coffee, anybody? (laughs) But they didn't answer. Go ahead. Yeah, you can read it. Go ahead and giggle. Because what are they doing? Jesus just told them in 24, 48 hours, in the last 24, 40 hours, for the second or third time he's going to die. They don't like that, so they don't question him about it. Then Jesus explains to Peter not to offend the lost, that, you know, there's something going on, so pay the taxes. And why is he teaching them not to live for their own priorities? Because of this kind of junk that keeps happening. Jesus knows they're talking, and he's walking, and he's mumbling to his father, Oy vey, seriously, these are the twelve? They get into the house, and Jesus asks the perfect question, what are you guys talking about? And they don't want to answer. Why? Because they knew they were doing something stupid. They had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. It wasn't just like, hey, I think the sons of thunder are going to be great. It's like, I'm going to be the greatest. Why? Because I do this. Judas is like, I'm going to run the money so you can be the greatest, but I'm in charge. I mean, they're having this argument. He sits down. He calls the 12 disciples over. He takes a deep breath so he doesn't destroy them with fire. And he says, in my kingdom, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone. I don't want to be the servant of everyone. That's why it's an upside-down kingdom. If you really want to know the Jesus of the Bible, you're not going to have a problem if you're here that he's the the sovereign one. That's not going to be a problem for you. You're going to be relieved. It's going to be like, I already knew that. I knew where we were going. I get it. He's the son of God. He presents himself as the son of man so that people know he came to serve them. It's a humble position. I knew that. Nothing surprises you about that. What I do think is going to shock us is how common it was for Jesus to say over and over again, yeah, you've got to serve. When the waitress spills your tea, you should get up and get her tea. What? I'm, a, I'm actually a client of the waitress. No, you're not. You're a royal in a kingdom. And in this kingdom, the royal serves. Let's pray. Father God, help us not just to learn of you from the Scriptures and listen to you from the Scriptures and watch you do your thing in the Scriptures. Help us to be like you. Help us to understand that we are royals in an upside-down kingdom where the royals serve the people. May we not allow our right to distract people from our king. And may we bring others into the kingdom through the power and the name and the truth of Jesus Christ, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. If you're visiting with us, I'd love to shake your hand and answer questions.